Well, can the church say praise the Lord? It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand clap. Let's make our webcast audience feel welcome, the church in the balcony. Appreciate everybody being here. It is Labor Day weekend, and uh, of course, uh, a lot of people traveling, kind of trying to get that last summer uh, uh, vacation in, if you will, uh, trying to make that happen. And so uh, I guess that's uh, the, the end of summer, I guess, is, is Labor Day marked as. But uh, I'm glad we got four seasons. I'm glad that we have the ability to uh, see winter, even though we don't like winter. Uh, we can see it, uh, same way with fall of the year and spring and summer. I'm glad we have all the seasons. Um, we need to be in much prayer for uh, the Florida area. Um, where the hurricane actually hit is the very place that we would go out, and Brother and Sister Hall, uh, Sister Hall had uh, many properties out there, and uh, the last hurricane that hit in that area took all of her houses and stuff out. And this time, the hurricane hit in the same exact spot. Uh, you, you might hear them talk about Horseshoe Beach. Uh, Horseshoe Beach isn't a beach. Uh, it's, you go to the edge of a rocky place, and there's the Gulf. It's just a little fishing community, but they name it Horseshoe Beach. Well, it had uh, another devastation uh, given to it for this uh, hurricane, and so much water came inland that it, it just literally destroyed homes, businesses. It's a small town like Phelps. Uh, if you was to go down to uh, Cross City, Florida, which is just about 20 miles, 18 miles from Horseshoe Be Beach, uh, it's just a small town like Phelps, but uh, they have suffered such a devastation. Uh, we need to be in much prayer for them. And also, we want to remember in prayer uh, Christopher Dotson, Keisha Dotson, Aiden Dotson, Bryson Dotson, Justin Coleman, uh, Hannah Croft, uh, and also let's remember the Stevenson family, Annie Thacker, uh, Raymond Thacker, and Lindsay LeBlanc. And um, I think we had one or two more that was added to that uh, just uh, late last night, so I'm going to check the list here. Uh, let's remember Nancy Brown and Reed Darnell. Let's remember all of these in prayer. If you have a prayer request you'd like to make known just by the raising of your hand, let's just talk to the Lord a little bit this morning. Lord, we come before your presence. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us together with your precious people to not only study your word, but to give you praise, honor, and worship. I pray, Lord, that you would touch each and every one this morning that is gathered in the sanctuary, that they may have uh, illnesses, they may have sicknesses, they may have things that is bothering them. Lord, I just pray that you you would just show your power unto them. I pray also, Lord, that you would move in a mighty miraculous way for all of those on the prayer list, all that are sick and afflicted, whether they're in the hospital, nursing home, wherever they may be that need a touch. I pray that you would touch them, and Lord, that they would give you honor all the days of their life. For it's all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord another mighty hand clap. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and uh, we want to look in uh, chapter 16. 
And I'm going to open up with verse number 7, but we're going to back up and read a few verses uh, that I think is going to be a, a blessing to us so that we can, uh, we can all get something from the Word of God. The Word of God wasn't an old book written a long time ago. Uh, it, was, it was the Word that was written for us today also. Not only was it good for uh, the times that we're reading in, but it's good for us today, and I'm glad that we can say uh, the Word of God will minister to us no matter where we are, what level of education we're on, what level of society we're in. It doesn't matter. The Word of God will minister to us. Aren't you glad for that this morning, that the Word of God will minister to all of us? So we want to go to 1 Samuel and uh, chapter 16, and we want to look at verse number uh, 7 opening up. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now a lot of people have misinterpreted that, that uh, scripture. They have misquoted it. They have misrepresented it. And uh, so we're going to learn what that means today because sometimes it's the unexpected person that God wants to use. Maybe not what we think, maybe not what society thinks. I've heard people say to people, oh, you'd make a good preacher to, to somebody who just was a good speaker or had a smooth voice. That doesn't make a preacher. Sometimes you look at things on the outward appearance and you say, well, they would make a good this or they make a good that, and they may be the worst at it ever. So the unexpected and also the overlooked is the name of our lesson this morning. So with the reading of the word, you may be seated in the name of Jesus. We begin to see that God uses those that the world overlooks. I think that sometimes when we look back even at our own country, we find that there were many that were used mightily that, uh, to establish our country that would not have been used if man had looked at the uh, person and, and made a judgment about them. Uh, you can look at George Washington. And uh, you know some of our forefathers in this country, we look at them and revere them and rightly so, respecting them, but they were not perfect men. They, they were far from it. They, they would do things that sometimes you would think, I don't even know how America got established. And uh, it, it's kind of chaotic at times, and, and you've got people that were rebels and people that were dividers and people that would say they was on the side of the uh, revolution against England and, and then end up being a turncoat. So... Uh, all of the people that maybe you look at in our world today that you think, well, they'll make a good preacher or they'll make a good husband or they'll make a good wife or they'll make a good, uh, you know, uh, worker uh, doesn't necessarily mean uh, they will be a good worker. We had uh, one time coming up to the mines that I worked at. If you, if you weighed uh, 220 pounds and you was all muscle, Man, they wanted to hire you. They wanted to hire you because they looked at you on the outward. Uh, you may have been as dumb as a coal bucket and not able to even turn a screw, 
but uh, they looked on the outward appearance and they wanted to say uh, in that respect, they will make a good coal miner, they'll make a good worker. Um, it doesn't necessarily work uh, in that way. And in fact, I've seen some people that couldn't read uh, or write, but they could wire up panels in scoops and miners and it would amaze you. Uh, because they couldn't read a blueprint, but they could take stuff out and put it back. And, you, and if you judged them on the outward appearance, you'd say, they ain't nothing. They'll never do any good. But they were very intelligent in what they were doing. Uh, we got to remember that not always is the outward appearance a good thing to judge someone by. Uh, and a lot of people take this verse that I just read, and they want to say, well, you know, uh, that's saying that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, so it doesn't matter what we look like or, or how we dress. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is just saying that when they looked at, at Saul and they looked at different leaders, they looked at somebody big, somebody that, that was tall and, and uh, you know, uh, you, you think about Gunsmoke and Marshall Dillon. You know, he was, he was always the biggest one in the town. And so they looked at him because he could handle the people. And uh, so we look at this and we see that, that a lot of times they looked at the king's as uh, the big people, the, the tall, the, the people that they thought could just go into battle and wipe everybody out. But we find that that wasn't the case. And a lot of times when you read the story of Saul, you see that his appearance on the outside had nothing to do with, uh, you know, dressing right or dressing modest. It was his stature. And that's what the word said when we read it. Samuel said, uh, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. It wasn't talking about clothing. And so people try to say, Oh, well, praise God, the Lord don't care what I wear. Yes, he does. And, and some people say, Well, you know, that the Lord done said he don't look on the outward appearance. Uh, but that was not what he was doing. Everybody understand that, that it was talking about his countenance and the height of his stature. And he said, if you're looking at that, I'm refusing him. Because God doesn't need the biggest and the baddest. He doesn't need the Goliaths of the day. He's not looking for necessarily the richest, most influential Sometimes he takes just one person that is the most unlikely person and does great things with them. Now, I'm glad that the Lord does that. Amen. Um, Saul's disobedience and rejection, of course, is, is what uh, happened to him. He, he just got disobedient when he was little. Uh, the Lord could use him, and then when he got a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, people following him, and, and, and the position went to his head. Uh, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and I forget who it was, but they were talking, and, and we was talking about people that get positions. And uh, sometimes when they get positions in life, uh, it goes to their head. And what do you mean by that? It means that they think they're better than everybody else. They know more than everybody else. They can do more than everybody else. And everybody else just just subservient. But uh, that's not the way it is. Uh, a lot of times the Lord will take the most unlikely person. 
Just think about your graduating class in high school. Uh, the people that you thought wouldn't make it in life and the people that you thought would make it in life. And if you went back to their life, of course, most are retired or dead by now, but if you went back and you looked, some of the most unlikely people made doctors, lawyers, and, and uh, you know, uh, CEOs and, and nurses and teachers and all these things. And then the people that you thought for sure would go and make something of themselves ended up either wasting their life in riotous living or doing something that just destroyed their chances of ever having a big future. So God doesn't look on the stature. That's what it's talking about with the outward appearance. He doesn't look on the stature or the countenance of a man. And uh, so sometimes we like to pick the, the, the hands, most handsome, the cutest, the most personality precious, and we want to put them in positions because we think that's what the Lord is looking for. Lord's not looking for beauty. He's not looking for handsomeness. He's not looking for uh, all of this persuasive personality. He's looking for somebody who will be submissive to him. Somebody who will just say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I will follow through and do what you want me to do. Often it's the unknown, the unheralded, uh, the overlooked that have played significant roles throughout history. And certainly in God's kingdom. Our king looks beyond what humanity sees and sees the potential for our lives. How many knows that when the Lord looks at you, he's looking for potential? He's not just looking for somebody that the people like. He's not just looking for somebody that has favor in a community. He's looking for somebody that he can look at and say, you know what? I know this person can make an impact because I see their potential. David wasn't the most uh, feared of soldiers. He was just a shepherd boy. And yet he shows up on the scene and what he's doing, he's going to take out a giant. And people started making fun of David because David was small, he was young, he was inexperienced in battle. And they started saying, you know, you can't do nothing. You, you can't handle this giant. And uh, David said, well, let me tell you about the bear and let me tell you about the lion. And then you'll know I'm going to take this giant out too. The Lord doesn't always look at the outward appearance. He doesn't always look and say, well, you're a good hunter, so uh, you may be a good uh, fisherman, uh, but that don't, don't necessarily mean you're a good fisher of men. And uh, so I want, I want to just stress the point that if we are going to be used to the Lord, we have to be submissive to Him. We have to submit to Him. It's not a if I want to, if I feel like it, if it's popular. You submit to the Lord through thick and thin. You say, I will serve you. I will serve you through the good times. I'll serve you through the bad times. You don't want leaders that's in church today and out tomorrow. You don't want leaders that are, uh, you know, living one thing and, and preaching and teaching one thing in church and then you go out in the community and see them doing all sorts of ungodliness. You don't want a liar and a thief and, and uh, all of that to be in charge of anything at church. Certainly we don't. And uh, so we understand that, 
that uh, a lot of times we're not following God's view of leadership when we start choosing uh, who needs to be in uh, authority because it's very important that that person is someone who will submit to the Lord. Our lives need to have an impact. David's life had an impact before he ever became king. He learned how to fight giants before he ever learned to sit on the throne. He learned how to lean upon the Lord for understanding before he ever began to battle the battles that he faced. We find that there's going to be a lot of times in our life that if we're not careful, we will be more about uh, submitting to our own will than his will. And we will find ourselves sometimes making decisions that make it easy on us. But we don't make it easy on us. If you're going to be a leader, it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of submission. There's things you have to do when you want to go you know, fishing. There's things you have to do when you want to go on vacation. There's things you have to do. And why? Because the Lord has called you because you have potential. Sometimes uh, I'll be talking to someone and, and they'll be saying something to the effect, uh, you know, I, I don't know why... Uh, God called me or I don't know why I'm in this position or whatever and I look at him and I say God has a reason there's a reason you're there there's a reason and you know that it might be talking about uh, obedience or it might be talking about disobedience and say I don't know why I'm in this situation to where there's a lot of disobedience around me and, and I look at them when they start that and I say well let me tell you why you're here you're here because you are uh, the one that God picked to be an example and to, to show what it really means to be a leader. So a lot of times, you know, you think leaders never get discouraged. You think leaders are leaders and they're always going to be leaders. Uh, but leaders sometimes fall just as much as lay members fall. And they quit just as much as, uh, I forget how many percent, of ministers leave the ministry every year. It's an astronomical number. They just say, I'm not putting up with all the aggravation. I'm not putting up with people uh, being mean to me or my family and all these things. So they just walk away from ministry. Now, the, the question is, if we look at, at ministry as a job, we'll quit our job, right? Because if you got a job you don't like, you're going to quit it. You're going to look for another job. I've looked for jobs, and I, I worked in 28-inch co, and I did not like it. So I didn't quit it until I got another job, but as soon as I got that job, I quit it. I wanted to go from 28-inch to 11-foot co. And uh, same thing I, when I got my first job in the mines. It was mud and water, 36 inches cold, and, and there was a foot and a half of mud and water everywhere. You waded through it, you crawled through it. You didn't wade through it, you crawled through it. I'd put my clothes out in the yard and take a water hose and spray them off just so I could take them in the house and let her wash them for the next day. That's what kind of uh, sometimes uh, things that teach you things in life. Because if you grow up and have no hardships, you'll never know what it is to go through a, a hardship or sacrifice. And, and every leader, every leader has to go through some type of testing time to see if they are really going to serve the Lord or not. 
And that's what David did. David was just a sheep herder. David was really, uh, I like one of the phrases uh, that was in our lesson, Jesse's forgotten son. Can you imagine, uh, you know, a prophet comes, he's going to anoint somebody, and uh, all the sons come out, Jesse gets all of his boys, he gets his biggest ones and tallest ones and the most stout that's been lifting rocks and, and all these things, lifting weights if you want to. And, and uh, he put them all in the line and Samuel's going, nope, 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 nope. And he went down to the end of the line he said, have you got any more sons? You know, David was Jesse's forgotten son. Uh, have you got any more sons? Well, I got one more, but you don't want him. You see, the most unlikely becomes the hero. You don't want him. Why don't I want him? Bring him out here. Why don't I want him? Oh, he's just a lad. He's just a young person. He, he's a sheep herder. Uh, he's out watching the sheep. Well, bring him here and let me look at him and see if this is the one the Lord wants. And so he finally brings David out. And yes, David is the one that the Lord wants. Never think for a moment that the Lord hasn't got a plan for your life or for someone else's life. It may not be in the pulpit. It may be to help. It may be to uh, do things around the church. There's so much work to do. And if we had door knockers, if we had just a few people that would be a committee that would say every Saturday we're going to go out and knock on doors and we're going to try to invite people to come. That is what leadership is. You don't start right here right off the bat. You, uh, Dave was a preacher told me, he said, I don't let no young minister get behind the pulpit until he scrubs the toilets for a while. Because that will tell you. That'll tell you if you really are dedicated or not. And, you know, I no, I don't scrub toilets. I, I don't do windows. I don't do this. I, I'm a preacher. Well, you're going to learn preachers aren't ministered to. You're the minister. You're the minister. And uh, so David was Jesse's forgotten son. And, uh, but he was God's chosen king. I look at this and I think of all the challenges and all the background. Uh, we often present excuses for why uh, we can't do something. Uh, East Kentucky will mess with your mind if you don't have a mind or the mind of Christ. Because you'll look at East Kentucky and you'll say, we don't, we don't stand a chance. We don't stand a chance to grow. We don't stand a chance to have church. We don't have, stand a chance to have an occupation. We, we are the forgotten of the county. How many times have you ever heard somebody say that? That we are the forgotten of the county. We're on the end of the county, the forgotten people. Well, you got to understand that, that sometimes God wants to take and use the forgotten to do great things. And I think that sometimes when we look at this uh, lesson today, we see that it's not necessarily the people that are able to do something uh, because the Lord will give us the ability. There was an old song, and of course it's, it's related to Scripture. Uh, God doesn't always call the equipped, but He does equip the called. And that's true. He doesn't always call... I don't know what the preachers that have said to me, I was, I was uh, not a good speaker. 
And, and I'm sure you can attest to that about me. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not one of these people that have all this smooth tone, good stories, and cohesiveness to put everything together. I just preach the Word of God and give you what the Lord gives me, and that's it. But you see, sometimes we look at the orators of the day. Oh, they got a baritone voice. They must be a preacher. Uh, or they, they got this way of putting uh, everything together in a nice little neat package and give to us. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't try to be as, uh, as uh, educational as we can and try to be as, as uh, together as we can. But I'm just saying that's not what God looks at. God looks at people that says, here am I, use me. That's as simple as it gets right there. Here am I, use me. We look at our background, our family, our challenges. East Kentucky is always challenged. We look at our schools in East Kentucky and we say, you know, we don't have the advantages that Louisville has or Frankfurt has or Lexington has. And we try to encourage everybody to leave East Kentucky and go to the city. Because we want them to have better opportunities. But here's the thing. God can take an area that looks forsaken and make it as fruitful as the Garden of Eden. Amen. Amen. He can take an area that people have downed and said they're nothing but just a bunch of hillbillies and they, they just don't have no uh, opportunities there. So uh, we're going to leave and go somewhere else. I'm going to tell you, God wants to use what looks as being the unusable. He wants to take the people that maybe looks, uh, you know, people from the world look at and they just simply say, that area will never have church growth. I've heard people say that. Oh, you know, if you was in another city, I've had people uh, tell me, oh, if this church was in uh, Huntington, it'd be headquarters. I've had people say that. What's wrong with having headquarters right here? What do you mean by headquarters? He, he was talking about an organization. Everybody would want to come there. Everybody want to be a part of it. You see, what's wrong with East Kentucky? There's nothing wrong with East Kentucky. I want to tell you that God takes the most unlikely and uses them in magnificent ways. We have seen people come to the altar. We have seen people get the Holy Ghost. We have seen people get healed. We have seen people blessed. We have seen people come together and overcome great odds right here, yes, in East Kentucky. Because why? God is not looking at the outward appearance. He's not looking at the area. He's just looking for somebody that wants to be faithful, somebody that loves him, somebody that will say, I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. That's all he's looking for. You know, this church wasn't built because we had a lot of money and a lot of people. This church was built by the will of God. People looked at this church and they just shake their head. I'd see them out in the community. they say, why are you building a church so big? I said, because people need a place to go. You say, well, what, what's, why ain't it full? You ask God that. Talk to God about it. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's just looking for some people that says, I'm going to be faithful whether it's full or whether it's small. Whether it's big, whether it's little. Whether people's excited or not excited. You know, if I went by the, by the you know, lick my finger and 
by the wind of, of popularity, I would have quit a long time ago. I would have said, no, I ain't pastoring. I'm going to the city. I'm going to a city. 1,500 miles long. Amen. That's the city I'm going to. And in order to get there, I understand that it's not going to be because uh, we were the greatest. He chose people because not of their great number, but because of their small number. He likes to take little areas and do big things. He likes to take a small church and impact people in a greater way. You don't have to be a church of 500 or 1,000 to impact a community. You can feed the hungry. You can witness to the hurting. Uh, There's people walking up and down these roads all the time that you could stop to and just give them a card and pray for them. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for us to be a bunch of lazy people who he's blessed with this tremendous building for us just to be comfortable. He wants us to go out and try to win the lost and win, the, win those that are, are walking the roads and those that's in the hollers and the hedges and the highways. The challenges, if we start believing them, make it impossible for us. If I start thinking I can't, then I won't. Right? There was a, a newspaper woman did an interview. You've heard this story several times. She came to do an interview, and she was amazed that we are actually broadcasting on the Internet. She was just amazed. She said, y'all are doing what big cities are doing. And I looked at her, and I said, well, why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we do things that big cities are doing? Cities don't have the, uh, you know, the, I guess, the uh, market on uh, doing big things. In fact, a lot of, a lot of the uh, you know, cities like Chicago, you know what, Chicago? You can't even have church at night. People's afraid to drive after dark. People's afraid of getting shot. So people shut the churches down and just have a day service, a morning service. So cities aren't all that, and neither is country all that. But it's who God wants to use. Sometimes the most unlikely. And that's what this lesson is really about, is learning that God doesn't need the best to have the best. He doesn't need a lot to do a lot. The Lord just needs somebody like David, who may be overlooked, and everyone around him may say he is nothing but a shepherd boy, but he became a giant slayer and then became king. Working your way through life, Submitting to God is the way that God's going to use you in a mighty way. Our king looks beyond our humanity, our background, our family, and the challenges. We got to quit believing what the devil tells us. The devil tells each and every one of us we're not going to have revival. You got to quit believing it. Somebody's got to tell the devil to get behind me. You know, uh, the devil's going to tell you, oh, there will never be a a bigger church, uh, you know, in this area than uh, 30 people, 50 people. You know, the average attendance in America is 50. 
Every church, you know, the, the uh, abnormal are the 1,000, 1,200, 2,000, 5,000 church. Those are abnormal. Those aren't the normal. 50, 50. Now, I don't want to look at that and let it cause me to fall into that pattern of, well, 50 is all we can get. Because we've had more than 50. We've had more than 60. We was pushing 100 at a, at a certain time. Those things are just a small thing with God. A hundred is nothing with God. A number that gets us fouled up and tied up is something we got to not get wrapped up in. Uh, David one time numbered the people and got in trouble. We can't number the situation. we got to say, God can use you, Brother Justin. God can use you, Brother Larry. God can use you, Sister Joy. God can use you to do great things so that people can be baptized in his name. If you got a family member that ain't been baptized in Jesus' name, you do know they're going to hell. I hope you do. There's no, there's no uh, you know, sugarcoating it. They're, they're going to be lost if you don't get them baptized in Jesus' name. So we, we got to get that mentality. Instead of saying, well, the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a poverty-stricken area and there's... Not much opportunities for people in this area. Uh, we got to say, no, there's somebody that needs to be baptized in Jesus' name. There's somebody that needs the Holy Ghost. And uh, David, David was overlooked. He was small. He was young. He was overlooked. But you know what? He played a significant role throughout history. We still talk about David. I don't know how many of us will still be talked about. After we're gone. Usually you don't talk about someone that had no impact in the church, right? You know, somebody dies and it don't mean it wasn't important. I'm just, I'm just saying this is the way society does. Uh, after somebody's dead and buried, most of the time they're forgotten about. But you have certain people that step out and stand out as being something that God used. I think a little Earl Thompson, you know, just a nursing home patient with a harmonica. And what an impact he had on our lives. No, he wasn't skilled, but he could play. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't looked at as... Sometimes he'd stand there in his unshined shoes and his tattered clothing and, and he would play it anyway. He had impact. we got to quit looking at the outward appearance and say, oh, that person would make a good singer or that person would make a good this, that, or the other. We need to start saying, Lord, I want you to show us what we need to do and who we need in these things, whether it's singing, music, or teaching. We need to know, Lord, what to do. Church we need to understand God is wanting to use us no matter how insignificant, no matter how small, no matter what you think of yourself or think of this area. God wants to use you to win the people to him. Amen. <laughs> Saul's rejection and Samuel's mourning. God designed was not for Israel to have a mortal king, uh, the way he wanted it set up is that he would be the king 
and then everybody else would uh, do things from hearing prophets and hearing uh, priests and, and going through that process. Uh, but Israel was distracted by the governmental patterns of the surrounding nations. If we're not care, uh, careful, we will get distracted by what everybody else is doing. Oh, this church down the road is doing this. We got to do it. Oh, the church in Tennessee is doing this. We got to do it. You got to understand, we don't do things just because somebody else does it. I tell people all the time, what works in Tennessee may not work in East Kentucky. What works in Lexington may not work here. You know, people have all these ideas and all these things. I'll sit in meetings and listen to them till I about fall asleep. And they'll talk about, oh, we got to do this and we got to do that. And we do it this way and we do it that way because they're doing that way in the corporate world. Or they're doing that way out west and all this. And I'm thinking, but here we are in East Kentucky. How's that going to help us? You see, sometimes we get wrapped up in what's going on around us. Well, Israel done the same thing. They got distracted by every government thing around them. They began to demand that they wanted a king. They, in fact, here's what they said. Give us a king just like everybody else. Now, now be careful. When you want to be like everybody else, usually it's not a good thing. Right? It's usually not a good thing. You might say, oh, man, this church is running 1,200 people, and, and they get out, and they have outdoor singings, and they have this, and they have that. Well, great. I'm glad for them. But it don't always work here in East Kentucky because a lot of times people in East Kentucky is working 10, 12-hour shifts, six days a week. You can't get them out on a Saturday to sing. You can't get certain people out because why they're working right I'm just giving you an understanding of why we can't look at everybody else's ways and theories and and all the things they do and say well that would work here it don't always work here it don't always work here but I do want to encourage you God has a way to work here God has a way to work here if he hadn't, this church would have been closed and sold a long time ago. But you know what? He's still working. He's still working. He's still working. He's still working. As long as faithful people are serving him, he'll always work in this area. This will be the dispatch place for missionaries. This will be the launching pad for ministries. This will be the place where people will find that they can become better at what God has called them to do. Amen. So uh, Israel said, give us a king like everybody else. We want to be just like everybody else. Everybody down the road's got a king, so we want a king. Everybody else got somebody sits on the throne that they can go and bow to. We want that. Well, you know what? It was finally submitted. Okay, I'm going to tell you what that king's going to do. And, and they, be, they begin to hear what that king's going to do. He's going, he's going to take your daughters. And he's going to make them cook and bake. He's going to take your sons. And, and they're going to have to start doing things the king wants done, not what you want. 
He's going to take your children. I thought that was so intriguing that the children was going to be taken by the government. I'm I'm here to tell you, church, we got to be careful with our kids. And that's why we need to get them in church and, and introduce them to Jesus. Not just a standard, not just a a proclamation, or not just a place to go, but introduce them to Jesus. Because if you don't understand what was really going on, it has always been the government against the church. And, And we don't want to say that because we got all these politician friends and They're still my friends, but I can't agree with them. You can be friends with somebody and not agree with them, right? You can look at somebody and say, you know, I don't agree with what what you're doing, but I can still like you, you know. Don't mean I have to shun you. You know, I heard people say, if you ain't of this political persuasion, then then, uh, we don't want you here. And I'm thinking, well, my goodness, you know. Who who cares? I don't don't care if you're Republican. I don't care if you're Democrat. I don't care if you're independent. I don't care what you are. I just want you to love Jesus and serve Jesus. Amen? So they said, give us a king like everybody else. Well, I'm going to tell you what the king's going to do. He's going to take your children. And, And this is what we are in today. Whether we realize it or not, the government is going for our children. And the way they're doing it is not a secret. It's not being hidden. It's not done in a corner somewhere. They're out in the open. They're going to let your child choose what gender they want to be. And if you try to interfere, you will be the one going to jail. Preaching like this ain't going to be easy as time goes on. Persecution's going to get greater. In fact, we was told that we'll be hated of all men for what? His name's sake. So we got to learn that, that it's not going to be an easy road from here on out. We got to be strong in faith. Look at somebody and say, you got to be strong in faith. You got to be strong in faith. You got to be resilient. You've got to say, I'm going to stand. You got to have thick skin because people's going to say things to hurt your feelings. We got to have some thick skin. You see, they said, We want a king like everybody else. Okay, you're going to get a king, but he's going to take your children. He's going to use them for his own benefit. And, and don't think for a moment that it's going to go easy on you because you're going to suffer for it. And so uh, Saul, uh, you know, when God gave Israel a king, he did not set them up for failure by selecting someone who was inclined to fall. But Saul was a good man with a humble spirit at the beginning. And here's what we've got to understand. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. You can talk about it. You can talk about starting to serve the Lord, and that's great. Everybody's got to have a start. But it's not the starting, it's the finishing. How are we going to finish? No wonder the Bible teaches us we've got to finish our course. 
we got to run this race, finish our course. If we don't finish what we started, then what have we accomplished? We've wasted time. I was thinking about my life. You know, I guess as you get older, you start thinking about your life. And, and you start looking back on it. And you start thinking, well, have I done good? Have I helped people? Have I been what the Lord wants me to be? Have I accomplished what he's asked me to do? And I, I was just contemplating on those things in the privacy of my own little thoughts and room. And I'm just thinking about those things. But that's a good question that all of us should ask ourselves from time to time. Am I doing what God's called me to do? Am I making a difference? Am I impacting people? Am I winning people to Jesus? How many people are in church today serving the Lord because you witnessed to them? That's all part of what we're called to do. And so we see that if we're not doing that, we're not doing what God's called us to do. I want to do what God's called me to do. And I want, I want after this life is over for somebody to just say, you know what? One thing about him, you may not like his attitude. You may not like the way he did things at church. You may not like the way he ruled in the pulpit. But he was doing things for the kingdom of God. That's, that's what, that's what I, I want said about me. God gave Israel a king. He did not set them up for failure. Um, Saul made his own choices. Saul was humble. He was a good man. In fact, when you first start uh, coming across Saul's calling, he was hiding among the stuff. He was hiding out. I don't want to be king. I don't want to be anointed. I don't want to be in this position. And finally they got him and anointed him. And he was good at first. You see, some people are good at first. They, they're good workers. They're good church attenders. They're faithful. They're good givers. I mean, you know, start out good, but then something happens as life starts going on. Saul started having a different attitude. He started looking at things differently. And the next thing you know, he quits listening to God and the priests and, of course, the prophets and he starts leaning to his own understanding. The worst thing that any preacher, any leader, or any saint of God can do is start leaning to your own understanding. Because here's the thing. How many times have you heard somebody say, I don't see anything wrong with that? We're leaning to our own understanding. I, I, that don't convict me that you're leaning to your own understanding. But when I look at, at the Word of God... I want to measure up to it, not try to make it come down to my level. Right? Because a lot of people think that they can make it fit them. It's the mirror we look in. It's, it's the mold we're pressed into. And, and the world won't like you after you start serving the Lord. The world will not be your friend. I'm going to tell you something. I had all sorts of friends sitting around my house. And, and a lot of them left when I got married. Because <laughs> I wasn't out there partying with them. So a lot of them left when I got married. And then a lot more left when I gave my life to the Lord. And I was all excited. I was all naive. And I'd walk up to them because we'd been friends for years. And I'd say, I gave my life to the Lord last night. And I thought they'd be happy. 
good, and walked off. Didn't come around no more. Why? Because I wasn't running in their circles. I wasn't doing their things. Saul's failures were many. Uh, There's a lot of things that he failed at. Ultimately, his direction or his direct rejection of godly instructions brought about his downfall. Every time you reject the word of God, you will have a downfall. You'll have a downfall. I think about this because a lot of people that serve the Lord, when they backslide, you know what? They go out back out in the world and they think that everything's going to continue as it does. And you know what? The first little bit, everything is good, right? Backsliders, when backsliders back, everything's good. Everything's still good. You know why? Because the, the mercy of God, not the approval of God, but the mercy of God is still reaching out. So, so you feel, okay, I don't feel any different. I don't feel ashamed. I, I, I just feel like everything's going to be okay. You might still keep your job. You might get a raise. You might, uh, you know, uh, have all sorts of stuff, good stuff happen. But then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and everything's falling apart. Everything. I mean everything. Family's falling apart. Your life is falling apart. And it just seems like it just happened overnight, but it didn't. It happened the day you walked away from Jesus. So sometimes we look at Saul and we say, boy, he was, he was blessed and he was, he was actually a good man and had a humble spirit. But all of a sudden he started rejecting godly instructions. The Amalekites avowed enemies of Israel had filled the cup of, of God's wrath to overflowing. God sent word to Saul by the prophet Samuel that Saul was to utterly destroy Amalek, including all its possessions. Nothing was to be spared, not even, and get this, and this is very brutal, not even women and children. Everybody was to be killed. While the fierceness of God's judgment may seem shocking to us, it speaks to his profound hatred of sin. It should have convinced Saul that God was quite serious about this matter. Instead, Saul chose to evaluate the Amalekites uh, from his limited human perspective, and rather than through the lens of God's righteousness, so what did he do? He spared all the parts of Amalek that he did not consider too bad. Oh, this, this, gets, this gets tight right here. Saul could no longer sit on Israel's throne with God's favor. Why? Because he didn't obey God. He didn't kill all the Amalekites, including all their stuff, including women and children. He didn't do that. So what happened? If you read the story of Saul, there's a runner that comes to David. And he's running to David and David asks, who are you? And he says, I am an Amalekite. If you don't destroy all sin, not just the things that you think is bad and then hold on to the things that you don't think are too bad. It's going to come back and destroy you. What are the wages of sin? Death. It's going to come back to you. 
So that's what happened with Saul. He did not destroy the Amalekites. And one comes back claiming he killed Saul. I took him out thinking that David would be happy. But you know what he did? He had him killed. You see, sometimes when you think something isn't too bad, that maybe you can keep a king or two, or maybe you can keep some stuff. Remember Achan? Achan, everybody was told, don't take anything for personal use. Everything that you take of the spoils has to be for the Lord, but, but everything else got to be burnt and destroyed and all this. But Achan said, no, you know what? I see, a, I see a new outfit or two I'd like to have. I can't afford that type of garment, so I'm going to take that. Nobody cares what I wear and what I get and, and what I have. And, and, and there's a little money laying there, so I'm going to take that, and I'm going to hide it in my tent. Well, the people of God go up to fight a battle at Ai. Little small city, little small battle. Guess what? They lose miserably. They should have destroyed it. But you know what? They, they were defeated. They were overwhelmed. And, and come to find out, there was sin in the camp. We all know the story. Sin in the camp. Achan had taken things he was told not to take. Sometimes we got to understand the problems we have in our personal life is not because the preacher's preaching too hard or the church stands for this, that, or the other. But the problems we have in our own life is because we choose the things that are not too bad and do them. I don't see sin in that. I don't see nothing wrong with that. I don't know why the preacher thinks there's something wrong with that. When we quit listening to the spiritual authority in our lives, we will start having destruction come on every side. The church will go on. I just want to say that. The church will go on. Individuals will not. That's where we got to understand that, uh, you know, Saul decided that maybe just certain things that ain't too bad I'm going to take. But this cover-up of rebellion against God's clear commandment marked the tipping point. It started his downfall. You see, Samuel delivered the fatal message directly to him. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. That's, that's pretty stout words, right? Nobody wants to hear that your kingdom's getting taken away from you. Nobody wants to hear that, uh, you know, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. If I was asking anybody here right now, would you be involved in witchcraft? You'd go, no, no, not me. But then rebellion happens. You rebel against parents. You rebel against the church. You rebel against God. That is as the sin of witchcraft. And then stubbornness. Oh, we don't want to talk about stubbornness. Because some people, when you tell them what God says and the Word says, they become stubborn. They don't want to hear it. Right? Amen. They don't want to hear it. And so if you're not careful, stubbornness will seek in. And you won't even realize that stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It's sin. 
So yes, our attitude toward truth can either make us or break us. Our attitude toward truth will either have us blessed or cursed. With that said, we find that Samuel delivered this message directly to him and said, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. That's a sad day. Sad day when Saul, who was humble at the beginning, obedient at the beginning, didn't even want to be seen in the forefront, hid among the stuff at the beginning, now has gotten to a point to where now nothing matters. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to live the way he wants to live. God's word doesn't matter anymore. The law doesn't matter. The, the, the priest doesn't matter. The prophet doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who speaks into his life. Now he's at the point to where his kingdom is being ripped from him. And the reason it's being ripped from him is simply because of his stubbornness and rebellion against the word of God. You've rejected the word of the Lord. He's also rejected thee. You know what still gets us rejected? Rejecting the word of the Lord. That still gets us rejected today. There's no sidestep. There's no American religion. There's no uh, you know, understanding of this, uh, this area or anything that gets you bypassing the word of God. It is what it is. And we reject this right here. We will be rejected. You can come to church and be lost. You can be faithful in attendance and tithes and offerings and still be lost. Because if you reject this right here, you are rejecting God. And when you reject God, God is going to reject you. People's lives that are struggling, people's lives that's falling apart, things that are happening in, in communities as well as in families, we find that it comes and it can all be taken down to where people just simply rebelled against God. Age was never meant to be a disease. Right? But you know what age is a result of? Immorality. Abominations. Sin. You can go back. Every disease has a sin root somewhere in its past. If you go back to the garden, the very reason that man could not live forever was because of rebellion against God's word. Rebellion against God's word will get you kicked out of God's favor. I don't want to be kicked out of God's favor. Oh, God, help us in this hour that we won't be kicked out of your favor. We won't be looking for something new. We won't be looking for something different, thinking that somehow it's going to make a better day for us. I got news for all of us. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. Well, we see that God revealed his criteria. We see that Saul rebelled against God's word. Jesse's forgotten son. He revealed his choice. This is all a story about the most unlikely. 
Jesse's youngest son seemed almost an afterthought in this drama. All the sons were rejected, and no one even mentioned David. How do you think that made David feel? Your daddy didn't even mention you. <laughs> oh, I've come to anoint one of your sons king. Not this one, this one, nope, 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 nope. You got any more sons? The forgotten son. Man, I'd hate for my daddy to forget I was part of the family. So if we're not careful and, and we, we are not, uh, you know, mindful of the word, we can be the forgotten son because, after all, the Lord's looking for somebody to use mightily. He's looking for somebody in this congregation to raise up and do something mighty for him. He's looking for somebody in this congregation to say, I may not can do it in my flesh, but I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I believe that we've got to get out of this mentality, I'm small, insignificant, and can't do nothing. We can all speak to somebody. We all have family. We all have friends. We can all speak to someone. So with that, I want to close because we don't know everything that God sees and everything that God wants to do. We don't know what uh, is looked at by the Lord as being potential. You know, he looked at Abraham and he said, I know him. Does God know you? And the reason he said, I know him, that he will raise his children to serve me. Does God know that you'll raise your children to serve him? Does God know that, that you will raise your family to serve him? That, that's what the question was. But you see, we got to understand that it's amazing that an ordinary individual can do great things. None of the people in the Bible were extraordinary people. They were just ordinary people that submitted to the Lord. My question to you, God has big plans for you. Are you going to submit? He has not designed you for the ordinary. He's created you and saved you for something more. Others may not see it. At times, you may doubt it yourself. But guess what? He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you that's going to affect the kingdom of God. Keep your heart right so God may see it and exalt you in due time. That's a good lesson this morning. Let's give the Lord a mighty praise. I do want to be submissive to the Lord. So uh, with that said, we're going to uh, turn over and transition uh, into our Sunday school. Appreciate everybody here this morning. The Lord is good. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, praise the Lord. What a great lesson we've heard this morning. If you were out of the sanctuary, you definitely missed a great message. So if you have an opportunity, go back and watch that message. But at this time, we are going to transition from our Sunday school service to our main Sunday service. Are there any birthdays or anniversaries in the house today? Because we would love the opportunity to celebrate with you. Anybody? No? At this time, if you have any seed that you would love to sow to the Lord for the Sunday school department, for the youth department, give it to a child and teach them how to give at this time.
had a great trip. She took it in the fall. <laughs> I still view y'all as children, I'm saying. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Awesome, awesome. Pastor, do you need to do that? We got some certificates to give out uh, every quarter. We like to honor uh, kids that are faithful. Um, in order to receive a certificate, you can't miss over two Sundays in a quarter. And uh, you get a regular attendance at that. And then, of course, we have the perfect attendance, which means you can't miss any. And uh, so our certificates today, we have two that have been faithful this past quarter. And uh, the first one is Gunner Charles. Thank you for being faithful, Gunner. You, you had a perfect attendance up until last Sunday. But, you know, that just cost you $5 is all. <laughs> Appreciate you. Our... Uh, our second certificate, yeah, stand up here with me. I don't buy it. Our second certificate goes to Gage Hurley. Gage is upstairs, so uh, I'll, I'll smile and show you $5 off. And uh, we'll get that to you, brother. Amen. So that's our certificates for this quarter. And we'll turn it back over to Brother Taylor. Praise the Lord. It's so good to have children that are willing to be here every Sunday. It's so good to have parents that are willing to bring their children every Sunday. I remember growing up, my mother would, would wake us up in the morning and she'd sing about the little birdie on the windowsill, singing, telling us to get up, it's time to go to Sunday school. I'm thankful for parents that are willing to invest in children and bring them to the house of the Lord. Glory, real quick, we're going to go into the word of the Lord before the, the praise team leads us into an atmosphere of praise and worship. So if you could, if you will, stand for the reading of the word. Before I read, and if you're flipping there, it's going to be Psalms 22 and verse 1. Whenever pastor was talking in Sunday school, right at the end, he began to ask, how would you feel if you were the forgotten son, or for some, the forgotten daughter? And a funny story real quick, Sister Fredrina, sweet old lady at my former church, for years she would come up to me and she'd shake my hand and say, so glad you're here, so glad you're faithful. For years I just thought that she was sweet old Fredrina, Sister Fredrina, shaking my hand. And finally, one right around Christmas, she gave me a Christmas card and she said, so glad you're here. But she gave my parents a separate Christmas card. So I asked her, I said, Sister, do you think that I'm here by myself? And she started laughing. She said, well, yeah. I said, you realize these are my parents, right? And these are my brothers. And she started laughing. She was embarrassed. So it began to pose the question to me whenever he asked, do you, what, what would it feel like if you were the forgotten son? So now the question is, do we allow ourselves to appear as part of the family? Do we position ourselves to be seen as part of the family? Something to chew on. Again, Psalms 22, just real quick, 22, verse 1 down to verse 3. My God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Second verse says, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Verse 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou inhabitants, or O thou that inhabits the praise of Israel. We find that, that the psalmist was complaining. The psalmist felt distant from the Lord. But in verse 3, he reminds himself and he reminds every unclean spirit around him that is influencing him to talk bad about his Lord, to complain about his situation. He's reminded and reminds everybody in earshot, Oh God, thou art holy. Sometimes we need to make that declaration, church. We need to make that declaration today. Thou art holy. He said, for the one that inhabits the praise of the people in Israel. Can we make that declaration that he's going to be the one that inhabits the praise of Phelps, Kentucky? Come on, let's get loud in this place. Let's get radical in this place. Because today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's praise the Lord together.
not afraid. Praise the Lord. He's not given us a spirit of fear, and I'm glad that he hasn't, so uh, we can keep coming to church in the midst of all that comes against us, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how quiet it gets, we're not going to be afraid. Amen. We have uh, several requests. Of course, if you get our emails, you know that we, at the beginning of the month, take off all the emails and leave the last ten on. And we've had some added since then. Let's remember Christopher Dotson, Keisha, Aiden, and Bryson Dotson, Justin Coleman, Hannah Garoff, the Stevenson family, Annie Thacker, Raymond Thacker, Lindsay LeBlanc, Nancy Brown, and Reed Darnell. Also, if you have a prayer request you'd like to make known by the raising of your hand, the Lord sees that. How many believes He is a healer? How many believes He's a provider? How many believes He's able to do all things if we just ask in faith? How many believes He can do all things if we ask in faith? I'm going to ask you again. How many believes He can do all things if we ask in faith? we got to have faith. Let's lift up our hands in faith and let's talk to the Lord. Lord, we come before Your presence and we thank You for this opportunity. Lord, You're so good to us. You can heal us with one word. You can give us direction with one word. You can help us with one word. I pray that you would send a word to somebody today. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless somebody to know that their life is not overwhelmed, that they don't have to worry about being under the, under the cover of all that has fallen upon them, but that they can come out with a shining that only you can give. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way for those sick and afflicted in the hospital, nursing home, at home, wherever they may be that need a touch. Lord, I pray that you would move for them and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus Messiah 
give the Lord a mighty hand. Amen. Uh, we want to take up today's offering. Give us the Lord blesses you. The Lord is so good to all of us. Many things have been done because you are a giver. Not only have missionaries been able to go. I just got a call from a missionary from Spain. Just thanking this church for giving in the time of their needs so that they can get back to Spain and do their work there. Many times we look at offerings, we say, well, they just taking our money and whatever. But it's ministry. It goes out and does great things. Give us the Lord blesses you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your presence. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the financial ability that we're able to give. Lord, I pray that you would take what we give and you multiply it and use it, Lord, and it'll meet the needs of missionaries. It'll meet the needs of this church. It'll meet the needs of area needs, Lord, of whether someone needs clothing when their house burns or someone needs food when they're hungry. Lord, I just pray that you would just open up the windows of heaven and begin to pour out in Jesus' mighty name.
of the Lord and the Lord began to just deal with my heart about a message for today and a song that I have not sung in 20 plus years in fact I thought for a moment I don't even know how that song goes but uh, didn't remember the words and uh, all of those things but, you know, uh, the Lord has a way of bringing stuff back to your memory. That's why when you got the Holy Ghost, sometimes you remember stuff that you read in the Word. Maybe you haven't read it in a while, but it's brought back to your memory. And uh, this song that I want to sing, I've had to change the key because I'm no longer young and vibrant. <laughs> but uh, I want us to worship if you feel like shouting you shout if you feel like running aisles you can but if you feel nothing come to the altar because we need to feel God today hallelujah Well, I'm waiting down here by the river. Won't you come, Lord Jesus? Satan don't want me to cross. No, Satan don't want me to cross. Well, I'm standing down here by the
need to say hear my prayer Lord I know you've heard me pray so many times before I need you if you don't come I'm going to perish so I'm waiting you know what the Bible says wait on the Lord right yes Come on, we got we got to break through this. This is this is too low key of a service for us 
serving a mighty God. Anybody know how big our God is? Anybody know how mighty our God is? Anybody ready to give some praise unto our God? I, I'm not going to hold back because it's Labor Day. In fact, since it's Labor Day, I'm going to labor a little harder. I'm going to praise a little louder. I'm going to worship a little more. Why? Because my God is worthy. When I think of worship, I think of His worthiness. I think of how good He's been to me. How He woke me up at 3 a.m. Not just to let me lay there and look at the ceiling, but to give me something for the church today. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I give you honor. Oh, I give you honor. Praise the Lord. Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Thankful for all the kids that are here on this Labor Day weekend. Thankful for each and every one of you who are in town and come to the house of the Lord. Some are traveling, so we want to be in much prayer for them. We usually don't mention the names of people traveling because there are thieves among us. <laughs> so we don't give them no opportunity. But uh, we do have people that are traveling, and we want to be in much prayer for them. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 10, Genesis 2 and verse number 10, it says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. When you look at those four heads, you see that it was divided going into different areas that were well watered, taken care of, and valuable stuff was in those places because of the river. Somebody say, because of the river. Because of the river. The name of the first is Pison. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is, everybody say gold. So you know what? I want a river that's going to let me come out as pure gold. I want to get in the river that's going to let me shine as pure gold. And the gold of that land is, everybody say good. There is... Uh, Bedellium and the onyx stone, so there's precious stones there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same as that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. Ethiopia was not always a barren place. Ethiopia was not always a starving country. It had a river. And the name of the third river was Hidekel or Hidekel. And that is which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river, everybody knows that one, is Euphrates. I want to just speak to us the first words of that verse 10. And a river went out. And a river went out. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your presence. You're good to us, Lord. 
I praise you. I give you honor. I did not come, Lord, just to take up a place or a space and just sit and watch things happen. I've come because I want to hear from you. And I've come because I want to worship you. And I've come because you've done so many great things in my life and in my family. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I give you honor. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless the word as it goes forth that this congregation will receive it. And we're going to give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. And a river went out. I thought about what rivers do. Most of your major cities that were first cities uh, that were of greatness were located on a river. You look at Charleston, West Virginia, it's located on a river. The reason being is because the river was not only important for water to drink, but it was also important for the travel. Because back in the day, you didn't have jets, you didn't have cars, you didn't have all of the things that we have today. So it was very important for commerce, for traveling. And so we understand that when you go to Louisville, Louisville is located by a river. And the reason being the same as it was in Charleston. But there was also a river that was flowing out of Eden. We find that this river was something that began to water the whole land. It brought life and substance to the land. We find that it watered not only Eden, the garden, but it also watered a place where gold was and the gold of that city and that place was good. We find that there was onyx stones, precious stones because rivers reveal the good things. Rivers reveal the good things. When you go gold sifting, you don't go into a fishing pond. You don't go into a lake. But what you do is you go and find a river. A river that starts high in the mountain and begins to flow down to the valley. It begins to branch out and those branches are usually right in that area where people begin to pan for gold. And you heard of the gold rush and you heard of the great things that began to happen when people struck gold back many, many years ago. It was in those rivers that they struck it. It was also in the mining industry they struck it. But it was also in those rivers because those rivers revealed the preciousness of what was in it. I, I don't know about you, but I come at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm wide awake and the Lord is speaking to my heart and he's saying I want you to tell my people about a river that begins to flow a river that will bring life a river that will help them in their despair a river that will bring them out of depression a river that will bring them out of their worries a river that will bring them out of their fear a river that will bring them through and reveal the preciousness of my spirit in their life I I believe that we need to shout there is a river a river 
water went out. It began to water the land. Where there's a river, there's no dryness. Where there's a river, trees stay planted. No wonder they wrote the song, I like a tree planted by the water. I shall not be moved. Get a river flowing in your life and you will not be moved. Get a river flowing in your life and you won't worry about tomorrow. Get a river flowing in your life and you know that the Lord's going to come through and reveal some great things for you and your family. I never saw anybody dry up by a river. I never saw anybody pass out from thirst by a river. I've never seen things begin to happen that pulled people out of church when they're in the midst of a river. Backsliding happens when you move from the river. There was a story told that there was this city. It was a booming town. It was a booming commerce because it had a river flowing by it because all big cities have rivers by it. Chicago River. You, you can look at a lot, of the, a lot of the places, rivers. But we began to read this story, and it became kind of, you know, um, I guess concerning to me uh, that uh, this river, they decided they needed to change the channel of this river, and they wanted to redirect it to another place, kind of like what Pikeville did. Pikeville rerouted the river. If you don't know the history of Pifeville, Pifeville wasn't always like it is right now. What they call the river fill, where the, where the, you know, the uh, arena is, that was all river at one time. But they rerouted the river. People said it can't be done. But what happened, it took the river away from its natural course. And when you take the river away from its natural course, then whatever's located by the river loses it's touch with the river. So they began to reroute this river in this place. And, and they rerouted it so, so severely that the town that was thriving dried up because the river was no longer there. I would like to say that if we don't stay connected to the river of God, if we don't stay connected to the presence of God, that we will dry up. There'll be no praise in our lips without the river. I want to wade in the river. I want to go to the river. I want to swim in the river. I want the river of God to flow in my life so I don't have to worry about falling apart when things get bad. I've got a river that brings gladness. Somebody shout, I've got a river that brings gladness. I, I've got a river that brings hope. I've got a river that brings contentment. I've got a river that lets me know everything's going to be all right. Somebody help me preach just for a moment. Somebody say a river went out. A river went out. When there's a river flowing, things are going to grow. When there's a river flowing, churches are going to grow. When there's a river flowing, attendance is going to go up. When a river is flowing, people's going to get excited rather than being bland. When the river flows, people's going to shout instead of pout. When the river flows, when the river flows, you see, sometimes we forget that the river 
brings life. The river brings life. Uh, I think sometimes we forget. If it wasn't for the river, none of us would have water. Your water comes out of the river. If you're on city water, your water comes out of the river. If you don't understand where your source comes from, then you'll never understand what you're taking into your life. That's why sometimes you'll get them little cards from the water company saying they was poisoning your water, but it wasn't enough to kill you. You better know what's going into your life. Now, I know people that's so health uh, conscious that they got to have everything just right or they just, they just think, it, you know, it, they're going to die. I mean, I, I've had so many lectures on people who were on this, uh, uh, what is that diet called? Yes, keto. Keto. Keto diet. I've been lecturing. Oh, brother, do you know what sugar does to your body? I said, yeah. Oh, do you know what bread does for you? Yeah. You see, the Lord gave us everything to be used in moderation. So if you eat two pounds of chocolate, of course it's going to make you fat. But if you take a square or two off of that big pan, it ain't going to hurt you. But oh, I sit and I listen to a, about an hour lecture on on the keto diet. Oh, you can eat all the fat you want. I say, I don't like fat. Fat belongs to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I don't like fat. Well, you can eat all the steak. Well, I like steaks. Uh, you can eat all of this high protein and all this stuff. I say, yeah, that might be fine. I said, but you know what? I like to have a little sugar every now and then. I like to have a little cupcake every now and then. I like to have a little slice of food city cake every now and then. I like to have some, uh, you know, uh, Butterfinger Delight, some dirt. Uh, so don't talk to me about keto diets. And I don't want to be lectured by it. But you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. You got to take care of your temple. Yes, you do. But if you ain't worried about the spiritual, don't, don't lecture me on the natural. I began to look and it says in Psalms verse 36 and verse number 8, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness, not of the steak, not of the meat, but of thy house. I don't know about you, but if you don't like the house of God, you're in the wrong place. Go join a club. Go join the Kiwanis. Go join somebody else. But if you don't want to be in the midst of where there's abundance, satisfaction, come to the house of God. The Bible says, and thou shalt make them drink of what? The river. The river is life-sustaining. The river is always referenced if we do a top and shadow of the presence of the Lord, the flowing of the Holy Ghost. We find that if we will be looking 
to the flow of the Holy Ghost in the house of God, we'll be satisfied. The only time people get dissatisfied is when they quit having church. We come to church and sit. That's why I look at you and say, don't sit there and don't just play church and don't sit on a pew. You need to be a worshiper and a praiser because somebody needs a move of God. Somebody needs God to move. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. His house satisfies me. When I wake up at 3 a.m., I can't wait to get to 10 a.m. because his house satisfies me. I can't wait to get my suit on. I can't wait to get my tie tied. I can't wait to get in my automobile and get to the house of God. Why? Because it's it's the only place I'm satisfied. It's the only place you will ever be satisfied. The world will not bring you satisfaction. Life will not satisfy you. The world and all of its pleasures will never bring you satisfaction. Mick Jagger done sung it. You got to understand the world can't give you no satisfaction, but the house of God brings satisfaction oh I don't know about you I'm satisfied in the house amen I tell you this world's wicked this world's wicked and I don't know why anybody especially people that go to church want to embrace it I don't understand that because the only satisfaction we'll ever have is right here Right here. When you come through those doors and you see your brothers and sisters coming to the same house you come to. You see your brothers and sisters worshiping. You see your brothers and sisters singing. That's why when we sing up here, the praise team's got to be praisers and worshipers. But we got to respond to what's being said. Because if we don't, if we don't, the river's going to move and be rerouted. And if the river's ever rerouted, you do not want to be in a dead church. You don't want to be in a church that has no spirit. You don't want to be in a church where people just come and present their views. You don't want to just come to a church and sit on a pew and your problems never get solved and your joy never returns and your happiness never comes. You don't want to be in a church like that. You want to be in a church where the river's flowing. You want to be in a church where the river's flowing. I want to be in a church where satisfaction. I want to drink of the river of his pleasures. What pleases you, Lord? I want to drink that drink. Oh, Brother Larry, there's a lot of people pleasing themselves in our world today. They're pleasing themselves. But I want to say, Lord, what pleases you? That's what I want to drink. Because this world is pouring into the mouth of anyone that will open unto them the vileness, the immorality, the ungodliness, the things that will destroy your life and your family and send you to the pits of hell. The world is pouring it into your minds and your hearts, your children's minds and hearts, and even our minds and hearts. But oh, if I can just get to the house of God, if I can just find that river that flows there and drink of His good pleasure, if I can find a place I wish I had just a little bit of help in this 
this house. Because I, I believe that the river that we got to drink of is of his pleasures, not our pleasures. For with thee, oh, this is good. For with thee, in verse number 9, is the fountain of life. I don't want to go to a world that's dying. I don't want to associate with a world that's dying. In fact, I don't want to be guilty by association with them. I want to come into the house of the Lord. And I want to look at Brother Larry and say, I'm glad I'm in the house with my brother. I want to look at Brother Jerry and say, I'm glad in the, I'm in the house with my brother. I want to look and say, I'm glad I'm in the house with my sisters. I'm glad I'm in the house with the family of God. It's where I'm satisfied. Everybody say, for with thee, talking about the Lord, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light, oh, this is good stuff. In thy light, we shall see light. I can't even see without coming to the house of God. People says, I don't understand you know, I don't believe this is wrong. This don't bother me. This don't convict me. We'll go to the house of God. That's why sometimes when you're out there in the world doing all your lying, cheating, thieving, and all that, and you come in the house of God, you can't hold your head up. You know why? Because you're ashamed because the word's going forth and it's now telling you that, yes, you got to worry about some stuff. You better come out from some stuff. You better get away from some stuff because you can't even see light until you get in light. I didn't see a lot of things that I see now. When I was in the world, I, 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 would, I would argue. Uh, I'm paying for it. You reap what you sow, good or bad. In church or out of church, by the way. And I'd argue with people. There'd be people telling me, trying to explain oneness to me. And I, they'd say, I and my father are one. I'd say, no, it says as one. they say, no, it don't. I'd argue. I didn't even know what I was talking about. You know why? I was in darkness. Because you don't even know what the Bible says until you get the Holy Ghost. You can study it all day long. I'm going to dispute the theologians of the day and all of the educated of the day. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not going to understand what this right here is telling you. You can't read it and understand it because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. God ain't going to reveal to his enemy what they need to do. The only time we get revealed is when we come to this altar. And that's the step we're taking from darkness to light. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what it takes to be saved. I want to know what it takes to drink of his good pleasures. I want the river to flow in my life. When I leave this building, I'm not leaving the river. When I leave this building and go on my way to whatever venue that we go today to eat or to uh, church or to something else, guess what? I'm not leaving the river. I don't want the river to move out of my reach. I don't want it rerouted. I don't want to be like the Jewish people that rejected Jesus so much and so long that God turned to the Gentiles. He rerouted the river. <laughs> we better be careful, church. We pride ourselves. We're apostolic. We know truth. We are 
of the people of God. And yet, God can take the river away from us. If you don't learn to pray through, if you don't learn to overcome, if you don't learn to be dedicated, if you don't learn about his pleasures, then the river will be rerouted. I see it happen to people's lives. They no longer have the flow of the Holy Ghost. They used to shout. They don't shout. They used to praise. They don't praise. They used to worship. They don't worship. You know why the rivers moved? When the river moves, it dries up and deadness happens. Don't let the river move out of your life. Whatever it takes, if it takes saying, I'm not going to uh, hang out with these people because I want the river to flow in my life. I don't want to be a part of something because the river flowing in my life. I don't want to lose out with God and go to certain places. And even though people say there's nothing wrong with it, Lord, I don't want to go there because I don't want to take a chance on the river moving. Oh, continue. Verse 10, oh, continue thy loving kindness. Continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Continue. I got to stay in the river. I got to be in the river. I got to wake up in the river. I got to go to bed in the river. I got to walk through my day in the river. You might say, well, I got things I got to do. I got to work and I got to cook and I got to clean. I got to do it in the river. As you're going along your day doing whatever you're doing, why not give praise unto the Lord? Stay in the river. Why not call on his name? Stay in the river. Why not begin to sing unto him? Stay in the river. Why not begin to worship and say, Lord, you're my everything. Stay in the river. Because if you don't stay in the river, the river's going to move. The river's going to move. I don't know about you, but I want the river moving in my life because it gives me strength. It gives me light. It gives me hope. It gives me satisfaction in the house of God. Oh, hallelujah. There's places in the Word of God that talks about rivers. It talks about rivers that make you glad. It talks about rivers that bring contentment. All these things that we read, we see that it is because of rivers. It says in Psalms 46 and verse 4, there is a river. Oh Lord, we need the river. We need the river, Lord. 3 a.m., you woke me up, Lord, to tell these people they need the river. And Lord, I'm told them my hands are clean. I've washed my hands. We need the river. We need the river in our homes. We need the river in our lives, Lord. I've told them your word. I've given them your word. 3 a.m., I give them your word. And Lord, I, I, now, I now pray for them as I lift my hands and I've lift my heart. Lord, I pray for them that they'll always let the river flow in their life. No matter if they're here or whether they're at home or whether at work. Whatever they're doing, they'll always let the river flow. They need the river to keep them from drying up, dying. They need the river to keep them sustained. They need the river to reveal their preciousness, their holiness. 
the righteousness. They need the river so that we can be people that drink of your good pleasure. Lord, we need the river. There is a river. The streams whereof, and as we ask the musicians and singers to come, the streams there whereof shall make what? Glad. Something that burns me more than anything is sad Christians. So if you come up to me sad, I'm just going to look at you and I'm just going to shake my head when you start giving me your sadness. Because the river, you're not in the river. Preacher, you're awful straight. I, I could get straighter. But you're not able to bear it right now. But I could get straighter. Even Paul told him, said, I'd like to tell you some stuff, but I can't right now. But I will tell you this, there's a stream flowing through this place. It started back in 1997, 22 miles from here. It started flowing in Mouthcard, Kentucky, and when we bought this land and began to build because people were sitting and standing in a stream. And we started to build. Things began to happen, just click, 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 click. People would come off the street and want to help us. Why? Because we're in the stream. Remember, it's not us. It's not the praise team. It's not the music department. It's not our personalities. It's the stream that makes glad. It's the stream that brings life. It's the stream that draws people. So that stream started flowing in this area. I refuse to let the stream move. I want it to flow in this sanctuary. I want to see people shout under the influence of the Holy Ghost again. I want to see people speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Why? Because that's the flowing of the river. When you get too dignified to speak in tongues, you're too dignified for God. When we think that church is just a place we come to put in our time and display our talents... I'm going to tell you, you, the river's moved on you. But oh, there's a river that makes glad. There's a river that brings life. The city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. That's our help. In case you didn't know, the river makes us glad because God's in the midst of us. That's why when the river begins to move, we don't just kind of just nonchalantly stand. We got we to gotta respond to His goodness. Let's stand. Let's, let's talk to Jesus.